In years past, miners would take canaries as down into mine shafts as early organic warning systems. These small little birds would warn miners of danger, and they would do this by dying. You see, carbon monoxide, a completely colorless, odorless gas, claimed the lives of many miners every year until one person got the idea of sending these little birds down who continuously inhale and are much more sensitive to invisible airborne toxins. And when one of those birds died, the miners knew the air was unsafe and they needed to go up to the top. The death of a bird indicated that toxins were in the air as an early warning system. Today, Jesus is going to show us that our souls are outfitted with a canary-like early warning system when it comes to the love of money. Remember last week, Jesus said rather abruptly, you cannot serve God and money. This week, he tells us that we have an early warning system. We have an indication built into our souls that we might be serving money over God. And that early warning system, much like a canary, is worry. Fretfulness, anxiety, fear. Whatever you call it, worry can be an early warning sign that we're serving something other than God. And in this context, Jesus is calling our attention to money. When you worry, whatever you worry about is what controls you. It's what you're tempted to worship. And here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking directly about money. And when he speaks, we should listen. And he's going to tell us, fret not, but entrust yourself to God. And I don't mean to trot out a trite, worn-out phrase, just trust God, don't worry about it. That's not what he's going to say. Whenever we see a call to trust God, not only is it always the best thing for us to do, but there's always, always, always a good reason. And today we're going to receive two. But before we get to those reasons, I'm going to read our section. So if you have a Bible, look with me at Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, 
What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful that we have your words and your word. But it's no small thing for us to have your word so that we can know your mind. We know that men and women gave their lives so that we could have your word sitting in our laps. We know that as you speak, as we read, you speak and you speak directly. I pray that we would listen. Lord, I pray that you would impact us. Lord, we don't want to just gain information. We want to be transformed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us today. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, in the brief time that we have together, move mightily in all of our hearts. I pray that we would be a people that lean forward on every topic from your Word, even money. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to think of ourselves as exceptions or special or different. But, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend in power, overcome my frailties, and as I preach, Lord, you would meet us together as a church. Jesus, it's in your name only in your name that we can pray any prayer and have it be heard. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, because your Bibles are not equipped with flashing lights, you have, the way you can tell a concept is important is not by flashing lights, but by repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. You know that the Bible is trying to get your attention if it repeats something like a three-year-old. Okay, we see this three times. Like three-year-olds ask questions. Why, 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 why? And what do they want to know? They want to know why. And so they keep asking you the same question over and over again. And we see actually a repetition of sorts beginning three times in our passage. Look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. What's he trying to tell us? Don't worry. Now, significantly, he doesn't just say, don't worry, things are going to be fine. When he tells us not to worry, he always gives us good reasons. And we have two reasons to entrust ourselves to the Lord without reserve. First, lesser to greater. And second, greater to greatest. First, lesser to greater. In verses 25 through 32, he argues lesser to greater. After saying, don't worry about the necessities of your life, and by necessities, he means food, drink, clothing, shelter, sustenance, those sorts of things, he gives a compelling reason 
for us not to worry. Essentially, he says, God knows you need this. And even more, he cares about it. And let me prove it to you with birds and flowers. Birds and flowers. Now, driving here today, I would bet that you had very little reason to care much at all, if any, about the birds that you saw. They flew across your windshields, windscreen. They maybe were just flying around, and you didn't think much about them at all. You just kept driving. And that's one of the differences between us and God. He cares and acts to help those birds. Look at verse 26. Now, he would have been preaching outside, so you look around and he would have seen, people would have been able to see these birds flitting and flying all over the place. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. That means they're not functioning as farmers, nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Each bird you saw today and every other day was fed daily by the Father, is fed daily by the Father. It's not just that these birds know where to go to get food and the way that the Lord has set up this ecosystem that they know where to get something to eat. These little animals, these little birds that you don't care much about at all, God personally feeds each one. He personally sees to the sustenance of each little bird. He notices them and tenderly cares for each of them. That's how he treats the birds. Now he moves to flowers. Now, because we live in the desert and everything is brown, we have all noticed the wildflowers that the rains have coaxed up out of the ground this spring. If you drove, if you drove north, you see color all over the place. And if you're cynical like me, you think, oh my goodness, it's going to be a very hot fire season. But these birds were planted by God. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God personally, as it were, stitches together the clothing for the flowers. Not in mass, but individually, each one. Flowers that are here for a few weeks and have the grandeur that surpasses Solomon. They're here a few weeks, and then they're gone. God feeds the birds. God clothes the flowers. God cares for the animals. Luther, Martin Luther, speaks of the daily care God has and gives for the animals in, in a wonderful book called Here I Stand, a biography by Roland Baton. So Baton communicates what Luther said by saying, God is a tailor who makes for the deer a coat that will last a thousand years. He is a shoemaker who provides boots that the deer will not outlive. God is a butler who sets forth a feast for the sparrows and spends on them annually more than the total revenue of the king of France. Now you might think, who cares? What do birds and flowers have to do with me? And that's exactly his point. Look at verse 26. Speaking of birds, are you not 
of more value than they. And verse 30, But if God clothes the grass of the field which, is a, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? If he's going to provide for the grass and if he's going to provide for the birds, you can rest assured that he is going to provide for you as well. He knows what you need and he will daily provide for those needs. He cares for us more than the flowers and the birds, and yet he cares for both of them. He didn't die for the sins of the birds. He didn't come as a baby to take care of the flowers. He did for us. And we can freely entrust ourselves without reserve to him. Now, some of you who are planners here might, might say, some worry is good. Now, if by worry you mean planning ahead, being cautious, making precautions, yes, absolutely. But there is a fine line between planning so that we can be prepared and planning so that we can control every last variable so as to feel comfortable. There's a difference. Those of us that are tempted toward control will always be tempted toward anxiety. Prudent provision for the future is right, Ryle says. Wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. You see, the prelude to worry often is a desire to control people and situations. Jesus is warning us. He's warning us. Hey, we have an early warning system. We have an early warning system that we're not entrusting ourselves to the Lord, and that's worry. That's anxiety. And he comforts us by saying, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, or the world seeks after these things, or the nation seeks after these things. Everybody seeks after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows, and he cares, and he moves to help us. See, oftentimes, worry about finances is a giant barrier to generosity. You can look down the road and think of all the variables you might face, could face, have faced, might face, or are worried that you will face. New tires, new roof, college tuition, major medical, inflation, all kinds of things. And you think, I can't afford to be generous. Well, the reality is, we can't afford to live with the illusion that we're really in control or that our lives are our own. As Christians, we're owned twice. We're created, and everything we've been given has been given to us by God, and we're owned also by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. And, let's be real, we cannot control the future. We did not control the, the day we entered this world, and we do not control the day we exit. We cannot control the economy. We can't really control our kids. And we don't even know how our investments are going to turn out. And yet, we have a promise here in Scripture from Jesus. He knows what we need, and He will provide for us. 
If he provides for the flowers and he provides for the birds, he will provide for his people. And we can entrust ourselves to him without reserve. We can entrust ourselves to him without reserve because he's good. And then he makes the further point in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? See what he's saying? What good does anxiety do you anyway? You end up living with phantoms that aren't real. You end up walking through worst-case scenarios that never happen. Our worry and our anxiety accomplishes nothing. It's a zero, but actually that's not quite right. Worry, anxiety, harms us. It's fruitless to fret. I make my life harder when I entertain worrisome thoughts. Not only does it accomplish nothing, it's a negative. So Jesus is asking us to just look at the normal situation in the world that we live in. He cares for the birds. He cares for the flowers. He will care for us. At the end of my life, I'm never going to say, I wish I had worried more. No, I'm going to look back and I'm going to see his faithfulness, his care, his provision, his love, his kindness. You see, as someone who struggled with, has struggled with worry my whole life, I know that's easier said than done. And the background music to this sermon is not, don't worry, be happy, but a mighty fortress is our God. Jesus tells us to fret not and entrust ourselves to him. You see, when we worry, we think, we live with the illusion, and we think that we're really in control of our lives, and we are not. In many fundamental ways, we're not. Jesus is. And so we have the opportunity to set aside worry and entrust ourselves to him in everything, including money. So Jesus gives us reason not to worry by arguing from the lesser to the greater. And he gives us another reason not to worry by arguing from the greater to the greatest. That's in verses 33 and 34. See, it's not just, you know what, if someone says to you, stop doing that, that's not helpful, right? Jesus says stop doing that, stop worrying, but he also gives us something to give ourselves to. You can't just... You can't be, it can't just be, don't do this, it's don't do this, and now live this way. Another way to be gripped by fear is to give yourself to things that don't matter. Jesus is instructing us to give ourselves to something that matters, something that is of the greatest value. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. That is backwards, wrong side out, and it seems so ridiculous. Now, when he says, give, seek first the kingdom of God, he doesn't mean that you do this first and then go on and do whatever else you want. But what he's saying is, seek with your life 
of first importance the kingdom of God at every turn and in every way. Live a distinctive life so that what we're occupied with primarily is the advancement of his kingdom on earth. Worry, fear, and anxiety is a preventative for kingdom advancement. Instead of pursuing pursuing money and possessions as our purpose in life, Jesus reminds us that we're called to work and sacrifice to advance this kingdom. That's what we're called to do. And this is how we live as Christians in a distinctive way. We're called not just to give ourselves to acquiring things, but also by advancing his purposes. Advancing his purposes. But notice something else in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness here means live in submission and obedience to Jesus in every area of your life. It's easy, almost natural, to fall into the trap of using God to get what you want. Instead, Jesus gives us a different path. Devote yourself to his kingdom and to his righteousness. That's your purpose. That's all of our purposes. If you follow Jesus, that's your purpose. And it's going to look different for everybody in this room. But we're all called to devote ourselves to his kingdom, the advancement of his kingdom, and, the, the, and to his righteousness. Now surely, as we've said before, this does not mean that all wealth is bad or saving for the future is wrong. But those things must not be of first importance in our lives. When our minds linger first on the question of our needs and our provision, we will worry. Why? Because we only have so many, so much, so many resources. But when our minds linger first on the question of God and his kingdom, all these things will be added to us. Think, let's just think about it really logically. We all only have so much money and time. It's a finite resource. So if we focus on the finite resources we have, we will worry. But if we focus on the infinite God who has resources beyond what we can imagine and entrust ourselves to Him, we will be less likely to worry. It's a matter of focus. Jesus promises as we focus on Him and His purposes, all these things, all these necessities, He's promising necessities, not luxuries, All these necessities will be added to us, just as he cares for the birds and the flowers. Seek him first and his kingdom. See, here's the secret in combating worry and anxiety. Put first things first. Jesus is giving you a roadmap. I don't want to say to a worry-free life, because we will always be accosted by worry, but a roadmap to fight against worry. He's saying, listen, I know you are tempted to think about yourself and give all of your mental energy to figuring out your life, your purpose. But may I suggest an alternative? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The greatest thing that all of us in this room can be associated with is the advancement of the kingdom of God. Not our careers, 
not our education, not our families, not our reputation, but the kingdom of God. And worry is a barrier to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Worry has a frightful imagination. And the cares of a thousand tomorrows may rush in on your heart and threaten you with all kinds of worst-case scenarios. That's true. And Jesus promises that's always going to be true. Did you see verse 34? Essentially, he said, well, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day that we live in this world will be marked by trouble. We will have something to worry about every day that we wake up in this life. Every day will accost us. And you lack the burden, or you lack the strength to carry the burden of tomorrow today. It's rare for us to sink only in the burdens of today. It's those of tomorrow that pull us down into the mire. Worry dampens everything. Give it an inch and it'll take 100 miles. So how do we fight back? Well, we set aside worry and work to sacrifice to advance his kingdom. Christianity has always been marked by being different than the culture and the people around them. In the past, the world took note. In the early centuries of Christendom, they were distinctive by their generosity and the way that they loved. They did good to those in their ho- the household of faith, but also to those who were lost in their communities. They helped lepers. They took babies in who were left to die. They, the Christians nursed the sick back to help, health. They helped the elderly. They risked their lives. And the Roman Empire took note. One man put it this way. In the midst of intermittent persecution and colossal misunderstanding, He's speaking of Christians. In an era when serving others was thought to be demeaning, followers of the way, or Christians, instead of fleeing disease and death, went about ministering to the sick and helping the poor, the widowed, the crippled, the blind, the orphaned, the aged, the aged. The people of the Roman Empire were forced to admire their works and declare, look at how they love one another. They were known as those who do good and were ready to be generous. See, when we are generous, we align ourselves more and more with His kingdom, His purposes, His economy. We communicate that this world is not our home and that one day I will be with Jesus forever and I am willing to lay up treasures in heaven by giving today. When we give generously, we are consciously reminding ourselves that we have received more, so much more. And our wealth is not counted by bank statements, but by what we have in Christ. Let's be clear. We can experience greater satisfaction, quicker satisfaction, more immediate satisfaction when we buy an item we've been saving up to buy or make an investment and watch it rise and fall, or go to a meal. It's quicker, but it's not greater. It's not better. 
It can be tempting to ask as we think about generosity to advance his kingdom, what do I get out of it? It's a natural question. It's a human question. But I'm very grateful Jesus did not ask that question of me. If he did, imagine if he asked that question. So, wait a minute. Let me get this straight in the council of heaven. I'm going to leave heavenly bliss, be born to a peasant woman as a baby, work as a carpenter, grow to be a man, I'm going to be mistreated and go without and ultimately be killed like a criminal for that guy? For rich? That's not a good investment. He's weak. He worries. And he does things he, should, he knows better than. That's not a good investment. I'm glad Jesus didn't think of his investment that way. And I think we all are. Jesus invested everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so, so you by his poverty might become rich. He gave everything in the purchase of our souls. He paid with his life so that we could be wealthy in all the ways that really matter. So it stands to reason that when you are generous with your money, you will have less money. Real generosity comes at a real financial cost. Let me ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Each week, we gather as another opportunity that stands before us to be generous. Generosity and kingdom advancement go hand in hand. They go together. And we all want to see the kingdom of God advance. But do you know how it advances normally? Not through loud mass evangelistic rallies. The kingdom doesn't normally advance through overwhelming revivals or big conferences or television coverage or things in social media going viral. The kingdom doesn't normally advance in flashy ways. Those are good things, and sometimes the Lord is pleased to use those things. But visible, loud events have their place. But the kingdom of God normally advances quietly, almost invisibly. The kingdom of God advances quietly by small, often unnoticed decisions that we make. Nearly invisible obedience that only the Lord sees. The kingdom of God advances as we obey. As we pray instead of complaining, as we overlook instead of getting bitter, as we text an encouragement to someone hurting, as we serve instead of sitting by, as we trust instead of having our say so that everybody understands. 
But here in this conduct, context, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking of combating worry and entrusting ourselves completely to the Lord. And the one way, one way we can do that is by generosity. We have not been bashful about sharing with you the direction that we believe the Lord has put before us. We, to be able to care for our church effectively, need to hire another pastor so that the ones you have can last for decades and not just years. We feel like there's also an opportunity the Lord has put before us to plant a church, and those things take sacrifice, and those things take money. But I trust, we trust, that this is one of the ways that the kingdom advances. The kingdom advances in small, quiet ways. These gains await us with another pastor and another church planted. Here's some of the gains that happen in small, small things that you might not normally see. Marriages get salvaged. Despondent people are built up. There's time to study, to preach, and teach the truth. There's time to study so that your pastor doesn't just get up and say true things, but he's mastered by those things. Your teenagers... Meet Jesus because of a conversation. People who've been battered and abused get protected. People who are confused get taught. People who are dangerous get confronted. In in short, these shepherds are to watch over your souls. And that's what we're trying to do in hiring another pastor and planting another church to be able to care for and serve the flock of God. And wouldn't it be great if we could accomplish these goals by all of us just asking the question, how can I use my money to advance the kingdom here? It's going to be quiet. It's going to be ordinary. It's going to be normal. It's not going to be flashy. Real generosity never is. But this is one way we can take our worries, set them aside, and entrust ourselves to Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Think about all he has done for us. Think about how he has purchased us. Think about the links he has gone to save us. Think about how he gave himself for us so that we might not just have a life in this life, but a life for all eternity. He has purchased us back from the dead. He has said, their sins are now counted toward me, and now they have life eternal. This is what we have in our Jesus, and we want that message to go out. We want that message to go out from our church. We want that to ring to our community, but we also want that message to ring in our hearts. We want that message to define our lives. We want to be a people who give ourselves to things that are of the first importance, and that is the advancement of the kingdom of God. That is the advancement of of the kingdom of God in ways that most people might not see. We're not going to be given to production. We're not going to be given to highly flashy things, but we are going to be giving, given ourselves to those things that we believe matter for eternity. And that's what we're trying to build. That's what we're going for. That's our goal. So, We have the opportunity now 
to set aside our worries and collectively, together, in solidarity, entrust ourselves to Jesus completely, fully. As he has given himself to us completely, fully. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your help for all of us, God. I pray that you would give us each a roadmap, Lord, even as we fight worry and anxiety thinking about giving, but also I pray that you would help us to look for opportunities to be able to generously give, generously give to people who are in need, generously give to the church, Lord, generously give to to gospel preaching ministries, both in this country and around the world. Lord, I pray that we would be marked by generosity, Lord. Lord, in our culture, this, the, the finances and the market and the economy, everybody's talking about those things, Lord. And I pray that we would, uh, we would think about our money and think about the economy in a different way. Lord, we know that what we invest in when it comes to your kingdom, is an investment that cannot lose. It's an investment that will not return void. It's an investment that matters. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who see that, who hold that, who are convinced by that. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunity, even just to, I pray that you would just help us as we lead our families and and look to sacrifice and communicate and say, let's see what God does here as we sacrifice for his kingdom and, it, and the advancement of that kingdom. I pray that we would put ourselves in a position to risk. I pray, Lord, that you would, on the day that we see you, Lord, say, well done. You sacrificed. You were generous. I pray for any here who struggle with worry and anxiety as a pattern. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us who do, Lord, to be able to entrust ourselves to you. And maybe that entrusting takes place a hundred or two hundred times an hour as we fend off worry and doubt and anxiety and fear and entrust ourselves to you. Lord, I just pray that we would be a people who trust you with no reserve, knowing that you will care for us. I pray that as we see the birds and the flowers, and the other animals, we can know that you will protect us and care for us because we are of more value than any of them to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, I pray you'd also bless, bless everyone in their jobs here, Lord. I pray for bonuses and raises. I pray for new opportunities. I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out your blessing as people are generous, Lord. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.